Good morning on this Thursday, the 15th of February, 2024, Thursday after Ash Wednesday. I hope and pray that your Lent is going well. And let me know if the, in the live chat if there's a problem. The uh, Weirdly, I saw the uh, view count on this go from a bunch to zero, so we'll see. But let me know if there's a problem, a technical issue that I'm not aware of. So I hope your Lent is going well. And today I want to talk about this sort of newish accusation from Cardinal Gerhard Mueller. We've seen Francis sort of play the funny game of embracing, you know, quote unquote, pre-Christian ideas and their religious systems for many years now. It's nothing really new. We've seen him don the the attire and the garb of, of non-Christian priests and other things, We've seen him receive their blessings. We've seen him al- allow their veneration of their demonic idols in the Vatican, uh, some Interesting symbolism at the Pacamama event, not involving that idol, but involving the tree planting ceremony, as well as the acceptance of very questionable rings and jewelry and other ceremonies at that same at that same event. His flirtations with pagan ideas is nothing new. We should understand pagan here to mean, for what we're talking about today, as being separate from the veneration of the demonic and such, the overly demonic. Here in with what Cardinal Mueller is going to talk about here is the pagan means pre-Christian or extra-Christian, post-Christian, this rejection of Christian norms, Christian social mores, Christian values. That's what we're talking about here. So, and we'll also talk about a brief news story after we talk about Cardinal Mueller. Because Mueller has been talking a lot about how fiducia supplicants really adds to the confusion in the church. Almost as if, that was by design, although I don't know if he's willing to admit that. A couple of things to remember with Cardinal Mueller here. He will say some incredibly spicy things at times. And he will say, like, lay some very heavy critiques on Francis, but he will deliver them in the most mild way sounding imaginable. Almost like he, there are times where he's saying practically the same things that Vigano is saying, but he's saying it in much less hyperbolic language, presenting it much more peacefully sounding and more respectful of Francis sounding than Vigano when they're in reality, they're almost saying the same thing. Remember also the Cardinal Mueller is actually a moderate theologically speaking. He was for a long time served as served Francis in the congregation for the doctrine of the faith. He has defended Francis a number of times in ways that just drive people nuts. Honestly, so bear all that in mind when you hear what Cardinal Mueller has to say here before we uh, do a brief pivot to a minor but an interesting news story that will probably start making headways in the news today. So let's go here. We get this it was published by the National Catholic Register just the other day where he's talking about how Fiducia Supplicants adds confusion to the church and everything else. It's an interview. They, go a lot, they just spent a lot of time giving you background on Mueller, you know enough background on him at this point, including many of you who do not like him because of some of the weird doctrinal stuff he has himself said in his past. I do wonder if he would stand by that now because times of crisis tend to help uh, clarify people's thinking on their own past errors. So he's asked, Your Eminence, at a recent plenary of the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith, the uh, Pope reiterated that blessings of irregular relationships should be spontaneous, non-liturgical, and not require moral perfection. 
and that it's about the blessing of individuals, not the union. But if this is the case, was there a need for such a document as such individual blessings are already permitted? That is a very basic question. Many people have pointed out this error with this document is that individuals don't have to be in a state of grace to receive a blessing. Famously, at the typical Sunday Mass, at the ordinary form, the new Mass, the typical Mass at your Sunday parish, if you are not in a state of grace, you can walk in the line for the received communion, but instead of receiving the Eucharist, you have your arms crossed and the priest will give you a blessing. So this is nothing new, right? So what's the point of this? And here's what he has to say. There was no need for this document, and now the later interpretations are relativizing themselves and they are only deepening, widening the confusion. That's a call out to your Pope splainers out there. They cannot explain what the difference is between a liturgical and the private benediction. They are putting forward a nebulous connotation instead of saying what is absolutely clear in the gospel, the word of Jesus Christ transmitted to us in the Old and New Testament. How dare we, as the servants of Jesus Christ, make this divine teaching unclear with mere human sophistry? In other words, how dare we muddle the gospel with our own mental gymnastics? Sophistry is the equivalent in philosophy of accusing someone of heresy in theology. It's In philosophy, it's the equivalent of lazy, bad thinking and justifying illogical things. In philosophy, that's about as high of an insult as you can level at somebody. It's the equivalent of accusing someone in theological circles of heresy. Okay? He's asked, some commentators are saying this document was needed in order to stop the church in Germany, in particular from going ahead with full-scale liturgical James Martin blessings, that this will help prevent such a thing from happening. What do you say to that? Now, that's an interesting question to ask him, because anybody who says that that's the reason it was needed is deluding themselves, because this document gives them, gives the church almost everything the Germans wanted on that topic. If you've been following the German Synodal Way and my coverage of it back when that was the main story in the church, you understand that, that the Germans were asking for the church to fully accept the uh, secular world's parody of holy matrimony for the James Martin crowd, but that they were at least wanting to do the blessings that we ended up getting with fiducia supplicants. So here's his response. We cannot resolve the problems around the German bishops with these diplomatic maneuvers. We must say the truth. That is blasphemy, that it is a sin. You can betray yourself, you can betray the others, but nobody can betray God. We must say the truth, not because we are saints and the others are sinners. If I preach the gospel, I am under the judgment of the gospel. The preacher himself must be a model of all. He must make great efforts to give good examples, to underline the faith with the credibility of the preachers. But he has to say the word of God, which makes us free, and not to present himself as more liberal and open-minded than God, who offered his own son for the salvation of the world. Where's the lie? If we are going to preach the gospel, we must actually preach the gospel, not to invent something new. Those The Bible warns us that those who teach the faith will be held to a higher standard than others. It's a terrifying thought. Now he's asked, what do you say to the view that in our overly, uh, uh, we'll say, uh, uh, our culture that overemphasizes desires of the flesh, with the many wounded by the tragic consequences of the of the changes in that in the culture, such a document was necessary because there was no other way to reach these people to bring them back to the church. In other words, what do you say to those who say the church should surrender on that issue to the culture so people will come back to the pews? His response, these people are not brought to the church by relativizing the truth and cheapening grace, but by the unadulterated gospel of Christ. In view of the weakness of man, especially areas of the flesh, 
Jesus did not show any sympathy for adultery, but said that whoever even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart, meaning he has already transgressed the sixth commandment of God in the Decalogue, and thus renounced the life of God and his truth. 90% of men and about 80% of women, according to ordinary form, Novus Ordo priests, will confess those sins in particular in the confessional. Now, of course, those are the ones who actually bother to go to confession on a regular basis. If you ever knows how short the lines are for confession and how long the lines are for, are for communion, you, you understand why I say that. But it's 90% of men and 80% of women. There's no document for them allowing them to go to communion. There has been a lot of talk about, well, how, how those sins, because you struggle with them constantly, as long as you are struggling with them, even if you fall, you should still receive communion. We've seen that taught informally by priests, and that's an error. It is still sacrilegious communion when people do that. But there's no formal document, teaching document from Rome making that okay. But that's because the people with those habits don't have a big, powerful lobby behind them like the James Martin crowd does. One wonders why that is. Let's continue. Another criticism of the document is not only its contents, but what it is lacking. There is no mention, for example, of the sin of the relations of the flesh outside of matrimony or James Martin activities, the importance of repentance and firm purpose of amendment or exhorting the person to come to Christ. This is where they start talking about my main critique of this document, because others have critiqued it elsewhere, is that there's no call to repentance. Our Lord famously called everyone to repentance. He was very pleasant with people, kind. He, he worked miracles to heal them, but he always, always called them to repentance. Because the things of the world, including the things we deal with in life, are not nearly as important as our final destination. And everything in this life should be geared towards that. And repentance is how you get there. The document does this, does not do this, rather. And here's how Cardinal Mueller describes it. He says, they, meaning the document, avoids it. For them, these people are only in a difficult situation for their weakness, and so they deny the existence of the sin as a willingness to do wrong and act against God's holy will, thinking they are only poor people and we must help them. But what is the help of Jesus Christ? It is the help of grace. It's the renewal of life. Everybody is called to the kingdom of God. Yes, everybody is called. The salvation is the new life of, in Jesus Christ, to be free from sin, not only to respect a moral standard as an ideal set by an elite or rules made by the society, but to do so according to the holy will of Jesus. This is the meaning of sanctification, and that is a true happiness that goes the way of God. That's the true happiness, and not obstinately repeating sins. Nothing like that in the explanations for fiducia supplicants, nothing like that for, in the document itself. Nothing like that even in Francis's explanations of it. I just bless the people, not the not the union that defines them as a couple. Yeah, okay, right? No, nothing about repentance. Nothing about how the only liberation theology that is true is that our Lord came to liberate us from our sins and from the servitude that comes from living a life in sin. That's true liberation theology. No mention of that. This is why this document, two months later, two full months later, is still being talked about. As the person says, repentance and liberation from sins not in the document, to which Cardinal Mueller says, no, never mentioned. There's no clear anthropology, clear doctrine. 
what is grace? What is sin? What is original sin? What are the personal sins? What to do with your own will and the cooperation of your free will with grace? In the Council of Trent, we have this great document about justification and original sin. And there it says, if anybody is saying that also with the help of the grace, you are not able to avoid the sin, this is anathema sit, and you are excluded from the full communion of the church. What is needed is a real turning away from sin and a full conversion to the Lord. It sounds almost like he's saying here that those who have sins of habits, that if they, it's okay because it's a habit, that's anathema. I'm reminded of like there are various saints in history who were denied the sacraments because of their habits, but they persevered. They either persevered and eventually were readmitted to the sacraments, or they persevered and then when uh, the opportunity came for love of our Lord, they gave everything. They earned that red crown of the martyrs, and they are, they are counted among the saints, formally. And all because they weren't coddled in their sinful states. Is one of the most horrible things in the church today, is that people are coddled in their sins, in this pastoral heresy, this mercy, 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 accompaniment and dialogue, no judginess stuff we see today. This inclusion we see today. I'm glad to see Cardinal Mueller calling this out. And so he's asked, so do you think, given these weaknesses and errors that you say are in fiducia supplicants, that it should be withdrawn as some requested that Cardinal Fernandez resign? Now he dodges this question, kind of. He says, that's a question for the Pope and is his responsibility. But I think with all these interviews and interpretations of the interpretation of interpretations, things are not getting better. Go back to the clarity of the word of God and what it, what is said in the catechism. I'll disagree with him there. The catechism isn't actually that clear, unfortunately. And not this bowing down to this absolute wrong uh, multi-letter acronym and ideology. That is not modern. That is a falling back to the old paganism. You see it in the old pagan Greek, Roman, and Persian world. Everybody everywhere allowed James Martin activities. And <laughs> ones we can't even say on this platform and they had not had this high standard of morality given in the 10 commandments but on the other hand saint paul said even the pagans are in the light of their reason and conscience able to understand what is written in their heart the natural moral law he ends this with what they call what the kids these days call a banger of a statement that the document returns to church essentially to paganism that's what it does because it adopts this thinking of the world on matters of the flesh. The world has accepted these sins of the flesh and relativized morality to the point where it says the world tells us that it doesn't matter as long as you're not, quote, hurting someone else without defining what that means. They tend to make it the most overt way as their definition. Otherwise, everything is acceptable. And we're seeing that play out in some of the most ludicrous things being advocated for in the world today. There's Cardinal Mueller for you. I'm going to give you an example of this from another news story from National Catholic Reporter of all places. If you are maybe if you don't read them, I don't blame you. They're you know one of the worst news outlets out there. I mean, they've been told to stop calling themselves Catholic officially by the bishops for decades, and they keep ignoring them. But you get this headline: Priest resigns Pontifical Mission Societies with USA Post after claim of misconduct quote with adult substantiated. It's sad that we live in a world where that has to be declared. But because the church played fast and loose with morality on 
allowing men with James Martin interests into the priesthood, and then being surprised when many of those same ones then became like Ted McCarrick, that they have to tell us this whenever these stories happen. So this is a priest who otherwise had what we would call normal interests. He was interested in the ladies. Again, it's sad to say, well, at least it was with the ladies this time, right? And at least as you'll find out here, it was she agreed to the, do the things that they were doing. At least there's that. How far have things gone in the church when we have to be happy, or at least not appalled, that there's those qualifiers? Please pray for the priest in this story. He needs your prayers because, again, as I tell you, whenever we talk about things in other people that cause us to have that stirring of anger, let's take Lent to try to do the most charitable thing possible, and that is to pray for them and to pray for better understanding for ourselves of these stories and things that we talk about. Let's go to the article here. It's Monsignor Kieran Harrington, a priest of the Brooklyn Diocese, has resigned from his post as the National Director of the Pontifical Mission Societies in the United States after an allegation against him of, quote, inappropriate conduct with an adult was substantiated, the Brooklyn Diocese announced. Substantiated basically means there was enough there to confirm it. They're using very legal language here for should be obvious reasons at this point. As a result of the substantiation of it, Harrington also has been placed on leave of absence from his priestly ministry, pending an evaluation to determine his suitability to serve the church in the future, according to the diocese. He violated his oaths of upholding of uh, living in accordance to his state in life. These are the chastity and celibacy vows. The allegation of inappropriate conduct against Harrington was received by the diocese March 6th an of last year. An investigation was conducted and the findings were presented to the Diocese of Brooklyn Adult Allegation Committee, which substantiated the allegation according to a diocese statement. Let's pause here. Look at that. Why do we have such committees in dioceses now? It has nothing to do with the requirement for priestly celibacy. There are cardinals out there saying we should get rid of that. That is, that's not why they have these. And lifting that requirement will do nothing for this stuff. If, or worse, for the things involving like the Ted McCarrick kind of things. Because the number one place that McCarrick kind of things happens is in the home. Involving a parent and those that they have a solemn divine duty to protect and bring up in the church. Okay? So lifting that requirement isn't going to do anything for that. It has to do with formation. It has to do with the culture. And it has to do with, again, the church not having concrete rules on this stuff, playing fast and loose with the concept of sin and not screening carefully men for the priesthood. You know, there are some dioceses that are better than this. They want to know if you are, uh, concern, if you're considering the priesthood, they ask potential seminarians if they have to deal with the, if they go to confession for the, um, we'll call it the private sin. It's what Pius XII called it. Again, going back to that other article with why people go to confession so much that 90% of men and 80% of women go. Pius XII called that the private sin. I like that term for it because we can have that conversation without scandalizing each other about it. Priests should not be dealing with that. That's And some dioceses are very hard line about that, that they cannot have had that in their lives for several years before they can be admitted to seminary. And why do you think that is? Because sins of the flesh are a snowball or an avalanche. They start out small and they spiral. They get worse and worse and worse unless something is dealt with. And you cannot have priests involved in that stuff. 
especially someone who's supposed to counsel people on how to break free of those sins. So the fact that this is, exists is a sad statement of the state of the church now. Let's continue. It says, the committee comprised of professionals in the field of law enforcement, human resources, oh boy, law and psychology, found sufficient proof of inappropriate behavior with an adult, or at least there's that, a violation of the Code of Conduct and Priestly Holy Orders, the diocese statement reads. As a result of this finding, Monsignor Harrington submitted his resignation to the Pontifical Mission Societies. He resigned from his post. He did not resign from being a priest. Announcing his resignation, Harrington said he regrettably had a single inappropriate consensual encounter with an adult woman, adding that he was wrong to have done so. Harrington also said he is not subject of any complaint or civil proceeding. The fact came to light during an ecclesiastical proceeding unrelated to me or to my tenure at the Pontifical Mission Societies, he explained in a statement. As is procedure, the Diocese of Brooklyn conducted an investigation into the matter. I cooperated and was forthcoming about the events. The report concluded that the encounter was consensual. Nevertheless, I had broken my promise of celibacy. However, responding to his statement, the diocese disagreed with his characterization. The report concluded the encounter was consensual, saying the board did not make a finding on the issue of consent. And he then he then goes on in the article to say that he stands by his statement. And I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt on that. Instead, please pray for Monsignor Harrington. Instead of being angry with him, being angry. The situation is appalling. Keep him in your prayers. Let's not try to do what um, other now mostly defunct Catholic news outlets would do when a priest makes does something and just tar him as the worst thing ever. Said, pray that he returns to he's able to return to ministry and get his life in order, or that he takes whatever is the appropriate step that conforms to the will of God on this matter. On the issue of the pagan idea. All of those pre-Christian societies were, were could be one of the defining characteristic that was seemed almost universal with them is that they either openly celebrated the James Martin stuff or others and other sins of the flesh, or maybe they paid lip service to the law of God on it, but they actually tolerated them very, very well and celebrated them privately. You see that all across uh, Western and Eastern history. It's a human, it's a, that seems to be one of those common factors of history that points to the presence of the demonic in much of this. Traditionalist Catholic says this article uses language reminiscent of corporate HR. Uh, yes, my background, I, people ask what's my PhD and I have uh, degrees in political science and my PhD is in public policy, which has a lot of public administration in it. And public administration is essentially the uh, public sector version of uh, private sector stuff. And so you see a lot of that HR stuff there. And I will tell you right now, that language, anytime I see it in church documents, makes me cringe because it's more signs of the secularization of the faith. Now, are there things that the public and private sectors do that the sec we'll call it the secular sector, that the secular sector does that work and could be looked to for ideas for solving problems in the church? Sure, right? Uh, let's talk about like clear accounting practices, for example, very mundane things that normally shouldn't be the subject of controversy. But unfortunately, the state of the church today, even that is a sign of controversy. Fine. But most of the time we shouldn't be seeing that. Like I, I very, very, I get very nervous when I see human resources stuff brought into the church, because that is how one of the mechanisms that was used in the private sector and in uh, a lot of the public sector or turning those institutions into the forces for uh, revolution in the society we see today. 
Tina says, "No priests usually offer face-to-face confession, then hyper-focused on the uh, on yeah." Um, I don't even I, I I there has been a greater re- return to traditional the traditional practice of confession in the confessional. I think that's a good thing. Like face-to-face confession has always made me uncomfortable when I would go to a priest who offered that because it was just it's weird. The one of the gr- things that attracts people to go to confession is that at least the priest won't see you. You're, you'll have your privacy. You're still talking to someone who is in persona Christi. God knows who you are. Maybe the priest there won't. But I will also say, from a novice order priest that I knew, someone who, when he spoke about such things, he have, had the honest fear of God in his eyes when he would talk. He said he was blessed with an odd charism that I've seen other priests mention, and that is they often will forget what is said in confessional to them. Completely forget it. That if you see them outside the confession and you bring it up with them, you really have to work to jog their memory for them to hear it. Otherwise, it's like almost like a special protection from the Holy Ghost, keeping them from remembering what was confessed. So don't be afraid if that's your only option, face-to-face, to go to confession. Just go. It's better than not going. But I'm happy to see the traditional form of confession returning, at least in its presentation, either with a booth or a screen or something between you and the priest. All right, folks. Um, let's take a look at the live chat here uh, before we sign off. Yeah, Damien, the Pontifical County of Life has definitely um, lost. It should change its name at this point because of the appointments there. Um, Catholic Cat says, I think America's pagan, so sad to say. I think Ameri- it's better. It would be the term post-Christian is the one that people like to use. I think that's actually fairly accurate. Post-Christian is, I think, the more honest way of describing it. Um, but it also does imply we could return to the faith. Although, when I say the faith, I'm meaning like that generic Christianity this history, this country has had a history of. This country has never been Catholic, and it does need a very focused by Catholic missionaries here. But again, the church doesn't seem to be in the business of that anymore. Madeline says, good morning from Spain. Good, hello to you. Um all right. So if there's any final thoughts in the comments, this is the time to get them in. Please make sure I have my suggestion for Lent. If you're, since you're watching this after, <laughs> after Ash Wednesday, when a lot of people do unplug uh, from this kind of content for the next six weeks, try to balance some of it out with some spiritually uplifting things, things that will actually teach you something about the faith, right? Go watch some census fidelium or some of the homilies from SSPX priests or whatever, just learn some basics about the traditional faith to help counterbalance some of this stuff. I think that's a, a good edifying way to help make your Lent uh, worthwhile. It's what, one of the things that I'm doing. So, all right, folks, thanks very much for tuning in and please express Trish's experience with ashes. I didn't even see what she said about ashes. Oh, let me take a look here before I go. Yesterday, priest signed across my forehead saying, repent and believe in the gospel. Is that a new f- norm? Anyone hear of it? I haven't heard of that. Um, I mean, remember that the ashes aren't a, it's not a sacrament you're receiving. It's not the traditional thing. Remember that you are dust and to dust you will return is what is usually said, at least in vernacular. Um, it's not the worst thing to say to repent and believe in the gospel, but it's, I'm not that worried. I wouldn't be worried about it. I would, I, it's just another sign if it does, if it's something that you find unorthodox, another sign to possibly start looking for a traditional parish for these things. All right, folks, thanks very much for tuning in. And as always, pray for the church. 
I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.